0: beautiful mamas and grandmothers, thank you so much for coming all across America to be online on our online cottage meeting through Moms for America. I've been with Moms for America for almost 13 years. Z comes to us today from Moms for America from Colorado and Hannah uh, from Oregon. Moms for America, where we believe that liberty begins at home. When mama understands the faith stories of America and the principles of liberty, so will her children, so will her grandchildren. When mama reverences our founding uh, nation and founding fathers in the constitution, so will our posterity. And so you're putting in the work today to learn and to try and figure out, you know, what we can do to be a part of the solution. And God sees this and he is silently note-taking and he will bless you for these efforts. He will bless your home, your marriage and your communities and this nation for your efforts. It's moms like you that are willing to show up and try and figure this out that will justify the heavens to intervene and to heal this land. Remember that's the great promise in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. So let's see our first little slide, Hannah, today. Oh, just a a small little order, healing the, uh, the nation by restoring the constitution. I want you to know it probably took me several times of going through the healing of America, particularly this class, to really understand what needed to be done when we say to restore the Constitution or to heal the Constitution. That just sounds downright scary and a little overwhelming. It's really not, but it's something that you just can't read once, like the Bible, and go, oh yeah, okay, I figured out how to to live a biblical life it's like a constant study of these principles of freedom. And so I want to recommend that this be your homework assignment this summer, that you know we're coming to the end of our 16 week series. Congratulations for hanging in there. You have attended 16 classes. If for some reason you've missed any of these classes, they're all recorded online. You can go back this summer, I would recommend it, and go through and listen to these classes again, read your little assignments, fill in the blanks, the keys, are in the back, some of the keys were incorrect, but hopefully you're able to access the correct answers to filling in the keys because it's been proven that when you have to fill in the blank, you use multiple sensories to learn and it increases your comprehension uh, to equivalent of reading something eight times. If you have to hear it, to read it, to fill in and write and to actually have a visual sight experience. And so this is why these classes are designed the way that they are. And so let's see the next slide. So we have systematically gone through our four little workbooks. I really hope that you have those workbooks. they will be treasures. That's what you'll refer to because I think it breaks it down in a very simple way and gives you a bedrock understanding (coughs) of, you know, the faith... um, founding of our nation, those faith stories in God's hand and building of America. And then at number two, seminar number two, we talked about the constitution as it was, what our founding fathers gave us, and what it is now, those additional amendments that came uh, after the Civil War and in the 1900s. And then all the problems that have been caused because of these adjustments to the Constitution, we call them on Seminar 3, the attacks on the Constitution. And now we're about the healing in Seminar number 4. It's important, though, Seminar 3, to know how the Constitution was altered and really destroyed in some aspects. Because if you don't understand how it was altered, you don't understand why what we're going to talk about today, these relevant new amendments must be passed. And and you won't understand some of the um, what spawned some of the changes and additions in number three, and why they need to be uh, corrected in in restoring the Constitution. So we're not about putting Band-Aids on boiler plates, I say, or playing whack-a-mole with issues, kind of piecemeal legislation or piecemeal exec- temporary executive orders, because we know executive orders can be changed in an instant. When President Biden took office in the first 12 hours, he overturned 20 of President Trump's executive orders. So executive orders is not a temporary or it's not a permanent solution. So let's see that next slide, Hannah. We wanna take a rifle approach to the problem and that is restoring what is broken the constitution. So a rifle that tops, um, actually that bottom uh, one is a rifle. I really don't know that much about guns, but a rifle approach is more precise and more powerful. It, it, it takes out the enemy more quickly than the shotgun approach. A shotgun, you have to use multiple rounds and there's fractured energies and a shotgun approach would be like a whack-a-mole with, you know, one issue. You get control of one issue and then the enemies of freedom pop up three more issues. So you're always kind of and you wear yourself out with all these kind of shotgun approaches to the problems. We're looking for long-term solutions. And that's what you have when you restore the constitution. Remember, only about 15% has been tampered with. So 85% of the constitution is, is basically intact from what our founders gave us. And a healed constitution is a part of how God is going to heal our land. So it's important that we make some of these corrections, some of these repairs to the constitution. Remember seminar two, we learned that our founding fathers gave us uh, the, our seven our articles and the first 12 amendments. And then three more amendments came after the Civil War Amendments 13, 14, and 15. And then we got uh, amendments 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, all in the 1900s, starting at about 1913 with the passage of uh, the real damaging amendment uh, 16 and 17. And you've heard me talk about how that, the, that disrupted the, the checks and balances of power uh, to the constitution and why we have a lot of the problems that we have now because of that 16th and 17th amendment. Okay, so let's go to the next slide. Healing America by restoring the constitution back to the tradition of our founding fathers. I'm gonna give you today a working model to begin to understand what needs to be done to repair the constitution and the tradition of our founding fathers. Under an inspired leadership uh, in the United States, we could probably restore the constitution to its original strength in about four years. That's right, four years. But for it to be a success, it has to be carefully explained and planned, and each phase, in order for each phase to be um, successful, and kind of popularize this idea that we need to we need to restore, we need to repair what has been broken in the Constitution, and that might take some time. Now, remember, it only took four years to go from a country that was not looking so good after the Constitution that that uh, was in a very difficult time period. It only took four years from 1787 to 1791 to become a, a thriving and prosperous new nation. And so that's where we get this idea that, look, if they could do it back then, we could do it. Now, we just need to firmly establish in the minds of those that will be leading this program that it can be done and leading this program will mostly need to be members of Congress and local leaders. And it, it's it won't be easy and it won't always feel comfortable. And it really to restore the constitution will require the same dedication that was placed upon our original founding fathers as they rose up and were willing to dedicate the time and their fortunes and their sacred honors to this cause. Remember Thomas Jefferson said, we are not to expect to be translated from despot- despotism despotism to liberty in a in a feather bed so despotism is like absolute power you know from kind of a cruel oppressive government or a cruel oppressive way he said look this is not going to happen it's not going to be a, a walk in the park and and he was certainly referring to breaking away from england and establishing this new country but we're talking about what it's gonna to take to heal this nation. It's not gonna be easy and it won't feel comfortable. Let's see um, the next slide. But it will give us purpose and it will be an example for our children and our grandchildren. And, and they will know that, you know that it's deep within them that we were willing to get on that wall and do what it took to save this country. So on Monday, it was Juneteenth. That is the anniversary of when uh, the, the last black slaves in 1865 learned that um, they were free, it was about two years from the Emancipation Proclamation that Lincoln issued, and so we celebrate Juneteenth. Me and my husband were still really questioning if we're the biggest fans of Juneteenth, but we went to a luncheon, uh, uh, a Juneteenth celebration luncheon on Monday because it was a national holiday. A man by the name of Bob Woodson uh, spoke. He is just an icon. We love him. He's one of our heroes. He's 86 years old. There's a picture of him there. He um, founded the Woodson Institute. He had just come at 86 from an hour long interview uh, um, by CBS uh, that morning when we saw him, we sat next to him at his table. And uh, he's written many books. You maybe have seen them on Fox News, but he, He says, look, we need to counter the rhetoric of, he calls them race hustlers, people that are getting wealthy off of the grievance issues, kind of like what Black Lives Matter does. He calls them race hustlers, the grievance industry. We counter their rhetoric with results. So his organization actually goes into Black communities and he finds Black families who are married, husband and wife, and he calls them the Josephs. And he matches them with, pharaohs, that means someone with resources, and these Josephs serve as agents of uplift in their own communities. So if 75% of the Black community doesn't have a husband and wife to raise children, that means 25% of the Black families are intact. And so he finds these intact families, and they become agents of uplift in their communities, and they revitalize. And he's done this for decades now, and his results are amazing. So he matches like BLM's rhetoric with results. So he told me uh, on Monday that he had a five minute conversation with a donor uh, the day before and it netted a $5 million donation from that donor. And he said, I did not even know that man until I got on the phone with them. But because of his results are so amazing, he is uh, raising money because he's, he said, I don't need to have conferences or, or um, press conferences, you know, to, to do the work. I go right into the communities," he said. Uh, "What did he say? The the battle is ours, but the results are God's." And so, um, Winsome Sears. Uh, let's see that next slide. She is actually the lieutenant governor for Virginia. And I like what she had to say, she's gonna run for governor in two years because you can only serve four years as governor in the state of Washington. She's a lieutenant governor now for the Republican, Youngkin. And they flipped that state, a blue state to a red state, Virginia, two years ago. And they credited the moms of America for coming out in masses because the moms don't like what the children are being taught in the school systems. And she said, hey, my ancestors, former slaves did not die in the field so that we today can say that we are victims. She said, we have come a mighty long way. And God is going to take his hands off of us if we don't acknowledge our blessings and opportunities in this free country. She said, we are victors and not victims. And so I love the messages that that I heard on Monday at this Juneteenth celebration. And then this little lady in the white jacket came up to me and she belongs to a cottage meeting group in Virginia, Tyler Otta, the Mavens, they call themselves in Virginia. And she is running from the things that she's learned running for the school board in Fairfax County. And so she, you know, is an example of when you learn these things, God puts it upon your heart to do something. And some mothers will rise up. She's a former teacher. She has four children. She said, I have just had enough and I'm going to do this. And so um, it was thrilling to see this. Can we see the next slide? So, you know, uh, Bob Woodson said we are in a moral and spiritual Free fall, and we feel that in our families. This is Father's Day. I hope everyone had a wonderful Father's Day. Uh, the man with the gun. It's not a hunting party. It's just Father's Day. And you know, when the men get together, sometimes they have to pull out their guns. This is a, a a country house that the family ancestral home has down about an hour and a half outside of Washington DC. And my husband is the one holding the gun in the light shirt. <laughs> sure. He loves his second amendment. So there is grandpa in the middle 80 and his sons and uh, sons-in-law. And then all the children of these uh, beautiful, strong, godly men were there except about four of them. Three of my kids are missing and one other, but these are their offspring. And these men, uh, Godly men, and they understand that they are in a war for their children, that the battle is real. But as we turn to God, the results will come from God. You know, I heard someone say, we have the best player on our team. So we don't need to give up. We don't need to be hopeless. We have the best player. We have God. We don't have to listen to this imaginary scoreboard that the news or the pundits or the educators are saying that this is the new world and we're evolving into, you know, this form of love and acceptance and tolerance. When you have the best player on your team, you make sure, uh, you know, in the fourth fourth quarter, the last couple of minutes when the fight is most I know intense, is not the game that, that, that you get <laughs> this is the best I player mean, off yeah. the bench and Rejected in the game, and that's what we me. need to do. Let's see if we can mute Pam. That'd be great. We we need to get our the best player, God, off the bench and in the game, in our home, in our hearts, in our communities, in our school systems. We need to evoke him more. Someone said, Jolene, on all your social medias, you need to put. You need to identify as a believer or a Christian. And you need to, someone said, if you will listen to Christian music 30 minutes in the morning, there is a spirit that will come upon you. You need to fill yourself up with good music. I have listened less and less now to music of the world and more and more to Christian music on my playlist. And we need to speak of him. We need to get him in our conversations more. We need to get the best player in the game who hopefully we're on his side off the bench and in the game. Okay, so let's see, we know that it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. It will not be had on a feather bed, but we need to remember that the conditions over 250 years ago were actually worse in 1789 when that constitution was signed and was going into effect. Did you know during that time period in our nation, uh, inflation was worse then than it is now. And there was more disunity in the United States. It was almost totally fractionalized. Those 13 original colonies were acting like separate little countries. And the threats, powerful uh, threats from the enemies abroad were greater than it is now. And in addition, the, the economy in our early founding was in the throes of a deep depression. If you remember, George Washington said that, you know, what was happening in America after the Revolutionary War, as he observed it, he said, I wish I had never had anything to do with these disunited states. He was feeling a little down that day when he said that. But they began to work under the sound principles of the constitution. And they coupled that with Adam Smith, that Scottish uh, economist who wrote that, um, you know, Wealth of Nations. He's known as the father of capitalism in 1776. They began to work under his prosperity economics. and, And the United States just within a few short years began operating in high gear within four years. And at the end of that four year period in 1791, let's see the next slide, Washington would write in a letter, he said the United States enjoys a scene of prosperity and tranquility under the new government that could hardly have been hoped for. Now this is our same dream and desire to see that happen again in today's troubled America. So where do we begin? How do we begin to heal America and restore the constitution? Well, we need to get our leaders, our political leaders, particularly our uh, Congress, the House and Senate committed to this task. And we need to make sure at election time, we're vigilant that we have these kind of leaders that are gonna be teachable and open to what it takes to really heal the nation. Let's see the next slide. So that means we need to participate and meet the candidate nights. We need to watch diligently how uh, candidates express themselves. We need to become um, thoroughly knowledgeable about these candidates, and we need to elect honest and good and wise leaders. That's how the founders used it. Honest, meaning those that will uphold and defend their oath of office, to defend the Constitution. How can you defend something you don't know, okay? So we need, you know, godly uh, or good people, and good people are founders intended to mean godly people that would uphold godly law and wise leaders, meaning wise in the wisdom of our founding fathers. So at the back of this book are 49 questions that you could ask uh, your elected leaders or people running to vet these candidates. At some point, you might want to look at those 49 questions. And so, you know, cynics might say, oh, that is a pipe dream, what you're hoping to accomplish. Well, we have to have the same confidence that George Washington had. And he knew he had the help of the heavens. Remember that vision that God gave him that he was going to win the Revolutionary War? I would go back to Seminar 1 if you're not familiar with that vision. And he actually, God showed him a vision uh, of our country in the beginning and the middle and even at the end that this nation would endure. We have to have that George Washington feeling uh, coursing through us. And it can be done, but it will not be done without God He just needs us on that wall saying, okay, I'm willing to learn, I will do something. And ultimately it will be women like you, families like yours, that will be the boots on the ground. You will be the staff upon which this nation will lean when things get really bad. It will be your children and your grandchildren because you will know what the solutions are. Time is ripe for reformation, Bob Woodson said Monday yeah, at that um, Juneteenth conference. And we're seeing that with all these revivals that are going on in the streets, young people are coming out in universities and the pushback that we're giving with, uh, you know, campaigns for the the Bud Light beer or Target or the Dodgers game, all those protesters that were outside of the game last week. And the number one song on the hip hop charts this week and number three for all music genre was a song called reclaim the rainbow go to your playlist and download it reclaim the rainbow as a covenant to god and it's uh shamika michelle and bryson gray And so that tells me, if that shot up to number one on the playlist of hip hop and number three of all the music in the country in just one week, that there's silent people that are are worried and are starting to rise up and not be so silent anymore. So restoring the Constitution, let's see that next slide, is going to take a partnership with those that are being elected into office uh, and, and citizens who understand what the true solution is. And so as we do this, it will create an atmosphere across the nation that will demand a restoration. And, and we'll know, you know what kind of recommended legislation that we need to have um, to begin this process. And we're gonna give you uh, the models today in this class. Okay, so let's go to the next slide. Number one, to begin healing the constitution, we have to heal article number one, the legislature. Okay, that's Congress, that's the House and the Senate. Now we know um, that the 17th amendment Uh, has disrupted the uh, balance of power amongst the states and the federal government and allowed the federal government to have overreaching power into the states. So when we passed that 17th amendment in 1913 under Woodrow Wilson, it took authority away from the state legislature to appoint its own senators because that's how senators used to be elected by the state legislature. And remember the state uh, senators would go home every weekend and they would ask their state legislature about what kind of legislation that they should pass and the issues at hand. Because remember, it was the individual states that were gonna have to pay for all these programs that were what were being put forth in Washington, DC. And so the, the senators were beholden to the states. And so when we passed the 17th amendment, we started electing the senators, just like we do the members of Congress, the, the, you know, the people, the a populate uh, began to um, elect senators. So no longer are senators considered to be the wing of resource asking, wait a minute, can we afford this? Can our fate is, uh, state afford this? And does this infringe upon the rights of people in my state now that they're all for, Um, more programs and more taxing so that they can bring more money and goodies home to their states and spend more so that will ensure they get reelected because remember a senator, it takes anywhere from 16 million to 30 plus million dollars every six years to just run for office. And so because they're being elected by uh, the citizens of the state now, instead of the state legislature, they need that money. And so the first time senators are elected by the people, but every other time after this, because of the 17th amendment, special um, interest groups and PAC groups, uh, will uh, give them the money so they can get reelected. And oftentimes, these groups are are not even in the state that the senator elects, and so you've seen that you know the the states have have kind of lost that watchdog on the wall for them uh, to stand between you know an encroaching federal government. And so let's see that next slide. So the concern is states' rights have been compromised. Okay, senators no longer have the desire to protect the states if you i've recommended this several times if you would take the time to pull up on youtube an 8 minute youtube video and a 9 minute video that talks about the constitution as it used to be when the 17th amendment didn't exist and what the constitution now how how um, detrimentally Im- impactful the 16th and 17th amendments have been to the constitution it will help click cuz the visuals are really good in these two u- two youtube's it will help click and your ability to really understand how harmful the 17th amendment was. So let's see the next slide. So the problem is, um, uh, there's the 17th amendment. Let's go to the next slide. The problem is states' rights have been compromised and let's see that next. The solution, let's, the next slide, is just to repeal the 17th amendment. So when we say we're just gonna repeal an amendment that means we're going to revoke it. So we're going to uh, annul the uh, the law there. So in order to be able to repeal an amendment, kind of like when in prohibition, uh, you know, Amendment 18 um, to make alcohol illegal in 1919 was the 18th Amendment. And then about 15 years later, they repealed that amendment by proposing another amendment to repeal it. So hence came the 21st Amendment that repealed that 18 or that amendment um, uh, 18th amendment. So what you would do is you would repeal the 17th amendment. So it would um uh, and and then what you could do so it would make it we have 27 amendments so you it, the 28th amendment would be a repealing of the 17th amendment. And what you could do in that 28th amendment you could um uh, uh, say that the senators need to be paid by the individual states because originally senators were paid by the government, because states didn't initially have the funds to support senators, you know, back in the early history of our country. But if payment came directly from the states, it would increase the loyalty that the senators have to the state because that's the source of their paycheck. And what you could also do in that new amendment, revoking the 17th Amendment, you could include a provision that would say that the uh, senator could be voted out of office by a decision of a supermajority of the state legislatures if they were not representing um, the, the needs and the desires of the state citizenry. So think of a, a few years ago when seven Republican senators voted to remove President Trump. Okay, I, I know in Utah, uh, the Senator Romney um, voted to remove Trump and. And the majority of Utahns did not want that to happen. So that senator went against the will of the state. And several of those senators, seven of those senators were censured by their state legislatures because they didn't appreciate that senator not conferring with the will of the state. So there's a you could put a provision in this 28th Amendment to make sure that senators don't go rogue like that and that they could be uh, removed with a super majority, which is a super majority or a simple majority would be just 51% of the state legislature. And what that would do, it was it would make the, the senators uh, more concerned and beholden to the needs of the state instead of you know what the political pressures in Washington DC are telling them to do. Okay, so second, that's how we would heal the legislative branch. Okay, number two, how do we heal the executive branch? Let's see that next slide. So we know the executive branch has become the power center of the world. And let's see that next slide. And we, we've learned in seminar number three, and, and once again, I would recommend, this is a 15 minute YouTube, to pull this up and to watch how originally in the constitution only gave President six uh, responsibilities and as more and more money has come into the federal government with the passage of the 16th Amendment, which we're really going to talk more about next week, that the government has gotten bigger and bigger and wealthier. And so that means, you know, the, the power the purse strings have gotten stronger with the executive branch because now he has all this money to, to kind of influence members of Congress and so forth with. And so, and we know, let's see the next slide, that the masterminds, master planners in the early days, you know, didn't like the slow deliberative process of the three branches. They wanted all the power to be in one branch so they, they could kind of get their people in that branch and control it and make decisions happen faster. And so we have some of these, you know, original master planners, and they were the ones that came up with the idea of the Federal Reserve in 1913 on, on Jekyll Island. We have a Rockefeller, Ford, Carnegie, Vanderbilt, the Rothschilds, these kind of men, and today, you know, current day master planners uh, would be maybe at Bezos or a Soros or a Gates or a Zuckerberg or even Clintons and Obamas. I would put them in uh, uh, that category, and so they are all, you know, proponents of um, of kind of this whole idea of uh, one world order and capturing all power in in entities, and so they like all the power to be in the executive branch. And so, uh, and the president, what what happens is the president is now able, because of all this power to abuse the office and shatter those chains of restrictions upon which our, our founders wanted, he want, they our founders wanted the federal government to be changed chained down with the the bound down with the chains of the constitution and also what we're seeing because the president has more power than he should psychologically the influence that the president has today you know and just think of covid everyone looked to washington dc to tell them what to do the the president to tell us what to do he controls you know uh, he has way too much power and control and and we can um uh, and and because of that just Psychological uh, power that he uh, is imposing. People, he can direct people, uh, um, and I mean, just look at last week, uh, Pride Week, and and the, you know the gay flag hanging in the White House and all of those activities that went on. You know, you think, well, okay, I I guess that the Washington D.C. and the president sanctions it somehow in people's minds, you know. And so let's see the next slide. The concern here. And to be honest with you, I'm gonna tell you a funny story. Uh, so I live just a uh, Stone's throw from Washington, DC. So my husband and I took our bikes. We bike downtown to the monuments. So we like to get a uh, pizza and just sit on the bench or the steps of the Washington Monument. It's just a lovely little date night. So we did this a few nights ago and we were right um, downtown. And sure enough, we, on our bikes, uh, all of a sudden they start closing off all the lights and all the secret service. Uh, start to show up. And we know that that means the president is gonna be coming down the street. So we just, were waiting there. And just within minutes, here comes the motorcade and President Biden, it was about seven o'clock at night. And my husband thought he looked terrible. He's like, he looks like he is wiped out. He probably just wants to be home at seven o'clock at night because we know he's 80 years old and we give, we've given him so much power and so much responsibility. He's really not equipped to do everything. Uh, that that he is doing right now. So let's see the next slide. So the concern is that the the unconstitutional expansion of the power of the president has allowed him to make new laws through executive orders uh, by um, imposing highly restrictive uh, regulatory laws. He's used his 500 administrative agencies that are underneath him and 2,600 groups under those 500 administrative agencies to impose laws upon the uh, American people. Those administrative agencies were only supposed to operate to pass laws within the executive branch. And now they're passing laws that impact the entire country. And we saw that during COVID and and the laws and the regulations and the, the mandates that they were putting forth. And, and we see Uh, presidents entering into executive agreements with foreign nations, which they're bypassing the approval that Congress uh, in the constitution says, uh, they must, the Senate must approve treaties. But when a president enters into executive agreements, it's like an executive order. He can bypass Congress and he can bypass the approval process of the Senate. And we also know that the president, is distributing trillions of dollars to government projects that you know that they have because of the 16th uh, amendment and that gives him way more power uh, than than he should and he uses sometimes those monies to influence the votes of senators and congressmen whose districts and states could be you know recipients of that money and he also administers in billions of dollars in foreign aid and makes grants of federal monies um, uh, and and makes these monies available, um, you know, to states if they'll accept the policies or guidelines imposed upon them. Maybe think of core curriculum. You know, if you accept uh, this curriculum in your school systems, we'll give you money and computers for your students. Remember uh, when that went on? And certainly, um, you know, critical race theories. If you if you'll accept these curriculums, we'll give you monies. He has that kind of say. So it's a problem and it's a concern. So what's the solution? Let's see that next um, slide. Well, we pass an amendment restricting the out of control actions of the executive branch. We get them back to the six enumerated powers and the rest of the, the, the decisions need to go back to the states to determine. And if we have the 17th amendment repealed then the senators can't be bought or manipulated by the Oval Office anymore and we also uh, establish an amendment that allows executive orders to only apply to the administrative offices of the executive branch of the federal government. And so um, this amendment would remove the authority from these regulatory agencies to make laws. Remember in the first article in the constitution it says only Congress who is voted or vetted by the American people are allowed to make laws and somehow we've allowed these regulatory agencies under President Biden uh, to to begin to spill over and and make rules and regulations and laws, they turn into laws. And then an additional provision could also um, say that the president cannot enter into an agreement with any foreign power, except as outlined under the treaty provision of the existing uh, Constitution. You know, uh, just one thing about executive orders. Look, when President Trump was in office, he issued a lot of executive orders and he was curing problems faster than most presidents we had ever seen in decades. And I think maybe some of us kind of liked it. He was getting stuff done, but you know, his method was the problem because when um, presidents uh, govern through executive orders what they're saying is, oh, I don't trust the constitution and I don't trust Congress. And so I'm just gonna uh, bypass them uh, through these executive orders. And look, President Biden used the same method of passing laws. And like I said, he reversed 20 of President Trump's executive orders within the first 12 hours. So it is a temporary fix. To heal the country permanently, we have to rein these executive orders in and you could do that in this amendment. So you would um, pass a new amendment. It would be like the 29th amendment. Um, that would restrict this out of control actions that have been allowed to go on in the executive branch this last century. Okay, let's see the next slide. So um, in 1969, uh, we passed an amendment, the 25th amendment to the constitution. And this amendment uh, basically says that we could have an unelected president or a vice president. Now this is very dangerous because this amendment uh, could be very nefarious. It could be used, uh, um, if, it, if you know, the wrong person could, could abuse this. And what it does is it short circuits the election process. And so what it means is if the vice president and half of the cabinet of the president thinks the president is unfit for office, they can um, declare him unfit and take over as the president. And so just imagine, let's see that next slide. Um, This happened, (laughs) President or uh, Speaker of the House Pelosi in 2020, when they impeached Trump for a second time wanted to evoke the 25th amendment. The only problem was President Pence wasn't going to have anything to do with it because it's the vice president that has to initiate it and get half of the majority. There's 15 people in the President's president's cabinet But you could see how, you know, Murphy's Law, what could go, what goes wrong, or what is that? If something could go wrong, it will go wrong, that this could be misused. So the solution really is just to reappe- repeal this 25th Amendment. It's not necessary. Look, when President Kennedy uh, was killed in 63 um, president Johnson ran. Um, he he assumed the office for uh, a, a few months, and then he ran at the very next election election possible, which was 1964, and he won the presidency. And that's what the the uh, uh, Constitution that our founders gave us, uh, you know, said was to happen if something were to happen to the president. So we do not need this uh, 25th Amendment. So you would just repeal it. Okay, let's see the next slide. How about healing article number three, the judiciary? Now, when our uh, the Supreme Court, this third branch of, the, of our government, the judiciary branch was put forth, you need to understand in the early history of our, our founding, no nation had ever attempted to set up a court system like ours. And so the founders were concerned about the possibility of a runaway federal government. So they assigned this third branch of government, this, the Supreme Court, the responsibility of becoming the guardian. All right, this is why they were formed to become the guardian of the constitution. But our founders didn't exactly know how it would work out. And so this is why they wrote the article number three, the judiciary in broad and general terms. But Jefferson warned about uh, the Supreme Court. He says the germ of disillusion of our federal government in the constitution uh, could be had, the germ of disillusion could be had in the federal judiciary. It's almost like he was prophetic and seeing what could happen with this third branch because they had written it so loosely. He said, Thomas Jefferson said, uh, by day they could gain a little uh, a little today and a little tomorrow, working like gravity by night until all shall be usurped, brought, usurped, pulled from the states through this third branch. And boy, did he get that right, because we have seen in the last, you know, 50, 60, 70 um, decades, how the Supreme Court has encroached upon the states And they began to set the standards for morality and decency and and safety in the states. Instead of the states doing it at a local level, the Supreme Court has. And we saw this when Roe v. Wade was passed, you know, 50, 60 years ago. We saw this when the Supreme Court began to pull uh, a God and prayer and Bible study from the schools in the 1950s and 60s. And we saw it in 2013, when they made same-sex marriage legal in all states. And so, um, and so this is kind of what I think Jefferson uh, foresaw when he said that they could usurp um, uh, the power from the states in which the states were determined their standards, not the Supreme Court. So let's see that next slide. So what is the concern that the Supreme Court has ceased to safeguard the Constitution? All it takes is five justices to dominate national party five justices to dominate our national policy, excuse me and and um, to you know to hold up or to prevent or to promote uh, certain uh, things. And so um, we can see that also they've taken the 14th amendment. Let's see that next slide, not, not that one. Let's see the next slide. So um, let's see the next slide. I want to show let me see okay, actually let's go back to the solution. I think let's go back to that solution. And, and what the court has done is they've uh, usurped authority from the states by misapplying the 14th Amendment and and making the Bill of Rights, which was supposed to be a chain on the federal government, the Bill of Rights apply to the states and chain down the states. And so, um, and also what we've seen is presidents when they appoint uh, these people, justices to serve, they've turned into more like political appointees instead of people that uh, just judges that had the were the most competent or the most qualified. In fact, I think we have one or two ju- justices on the bench today that never even were judges. So the solution then is to create a new amendment to hold the Supreme Court accountable. Let's see the next slide. And that it would look something like this. And we could call it, um, so this would be like the 31st amendment and call it the judicial reform amendment. And what you could say, because there's no check and balance on any of the opinions that the court puts forth. So you could put a check, like there's a check and a balance you can veto or you can override the executive and the legislative branch, but there's not that kind of check on the judiciary. So in in this amendment, you could say that a Supreme court decision that violates the original intent of the framers could be repealed by two thirds of the house and Senate or three fourths of the state legislatures. So that would be one way of checking them on, on decisions that come out of the court. And also that they can't interfere with um, state rulings, state, uh, state Supreme Court rulings, because what we're seeing is a lot of civil rights cases are being appealed from the state level to the federal courts and the federal court is undermining the decisions of the state Supreme Courts. And also you could put a limit on the justices. You know, right now they serve for life. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was in office 27 years. She died at the age of 87. She was still ruling on decisions. And so you you give them term limits. You say, look, they have to have five years of judicial experience or three years on a state Supreme Court to be considered for uh, a, a justice and that they can only serve for 15 years. If that would have been the case, Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was put in at 60, would have stepped down at age 75, which is more manageable. And so that is what a judicial amendment would look like. Okay, let's, we are moving right along here. Uh, Let's see the next. The next issue we have is to clarify the Bill of Rights and other related amendments. Okay, remember that that The umbrella of protection was supposed to be for the states, was supposed to be the Bill of Rights, especially when it comes to religious practices and personal defense. And so did you know, in the preamble to the Bill of Rights, those first 10 amendments, there's actually a preamble that says in order to prevent an abuse of power, further abuse of power, further declaratory and restrictive clauses have been added. And they meant added to the federal government extending uh, the ground of public confidence in government and, and ensuring its beneficent, beneficent beneficent ends, and so um, we we see that the the federal court systems have encroached upon that First Amendment rights and uh, and have you know declared uh, you know an establishment of religion is a coach praying on the fifty yard remember that case out of Washington several years ago. And they said that was an establishment of religion that should be for the state to determine, you know, if, if coaches can pray or if there can be prayer in school. And, and so they put restrictions on the, the states that were only intended for the federal government. And, and um, an educator, by the, a man by the name of Millie Maxwell said that our founding fathers did not wish to have a state religion, uh, a state church established like the Church of England. They didn't like that but they didn't want uh, to have a particular religion favored by the government, but they wanted religion to be free to make its own way, meaning let the people set their standards of decency and morality and religion and safety, let them uh, determine how they were gonna practice uh, religion. But um, he said that neither did our founders intend to have your religion made into a favored state a favored state. And that is what we're seeing now that, uh, you know, godless, irreligious ideas, unsound religions are being protected in the court systems. And it goes very contrary to uh, Benjamin Franklin. Remember, he talked about principle number four in the 5,000 year leap, what a sound religion was. And so, um, and, and also the Supreme Court, we talked about this a moment ago, has interpreted the 14th Amendment as uh, overriding um, these protections to the state. And remember the 14th Amendment originally just said all citizens, all Black citizens should have the same natural rights as any citizen. This came after the Civil War and the states can't restrict their rights. Well, the Supreme Court has now twisted that to mean that all states, uh, all people within all states have it. Uh, equal protection. There's an equal protection clause in the 14th Amendment and a due process clause in the fifth article and the 14th Amendment. And, And so the courts have twisted this now to penalize the states. If there's gay marriage in Massachusetts and there's not gay marriage in Wyoming, that's a violation of your equal protection clause. And, and therefore the states should be punished. This is how that was misapplied. That's not ever what the founders intended. Okay, so let's see that next slide. So there's a concern that the federal government is disbanding our Bill of Rights. And here's a, here's a show of how Uh, the the 14th Amendment was used to legalize gay marriage. And even recently, a few weeks ago, members of Congress were evoking the 14th Amendment to raise the debt ceiling, which is a complete erroneous application of the 14th Amendment. And so let's see the next slide. The concern is that, that they're misconstruing the Bill of Rights. And our solution is there should be a new amendment to keep the federal government out of matters which belong only to the states. Let's see that next slide. That would be the solution, a new amendment to keep the federal government out of the matters Uh, that would clarify the restrictions imposed by the fifth and fourth amendment only to apply to the federal government, not to the states. And in addition, there could be a provision in this, uh, this would be the 32nd amendment, a provision that would clarify that our existing 10th amendment says, look, if if the Constitution doesn't speak of something, the federal government should not get involved. It should go back to the internal operations of the state. So just enforce what that 10th amendment says. Now, you know, what I just explained, I want you to know, I had to go through this Healing of America seminar and the making of America and really study that out for several years to really kind of understand the nuances of what the 14th Amendment has done and how they misapply the due process clauses. But this is how you would correct that. Okay, so let's see the next slide. So I just we've covered today in class, a working model to begin to know how to restore the Constitution. Remember, 85% of the Constitution is intact, so you make these corrections to the constitution and it sets in motion the dominoes that will fall into place to repair, to restore that, to what our founders gave us so as a review we repeal the 17th amendment by a new amendment which would be you could write in in your books that would be the 28th amendment then you pass a new amendment that clarifies the power of the president reign in his powers so that'd be the 29th amendment then you repeal the 25th amendment which is like a presidential disability it short circuits our election process that would be the 30th right in parentheses uh, the 30th amendment, and then you could pass a judicial reform amendment, that would be like the 31st amendment where two thirds of Congress could actually overturn an opinion of the court that is not in keeping with the original intent, or original intent of the Constitution. And then you would pass an amendment to clarify the fifth and the 14th amendments, and thus reestablishing the Bill of Rights to its original intent, keeping the federal government under control, not punishing the states. And that would be known as the 32nd amendment. Now I'm not gonna talk about repealing the 16th amendment because we talk about that more uh, in our last class but that will also need to be done. Remember that's uh, instituted the income tax which began to grow the coffers of the federal government. And that needs to be repealed. Because remember, again, I think I mentioned this, the states were responsible to come up with their part of the federal budget. So um, it kept the federal government small and it kept the decision-making of how to run your state more uh, locally centered. And that's what the founders intended. Okay, so... Do you believe that we can do this? <laughs> that passing these relevant amendments and it will it will take six amendments 28 through 33 to restore to heal the constitution. We don't have to start by from scratch because as I mentioned 85% of the constitution is already intact. But you know, you get inspired and well-informed citizens and leaders or enough. Just 3%. Remember we we won the Revolutionary War with 3%. So you get 3% of America who understands how to repair the constitution. That would be about 9.6 million citizens that can understand and popularize this. And this is how we could heal the constitution. And, and particularly need those running for office in Congress to understand you know, the the needed laws, the needed amendments that they would need to pass in order to get it back to the original position of the inspired Constitution. So we could heal. We could heal. and and it would have a domino effect. Remember, it only took four years to turn our country around uh, when the Constitution was put uh, first put forth. And uh, and we were in worse shape then because they were working under that poorly constructed uh, government of the Articles of Confederation. So a heal constitution is a part of how God will heal our land. So this is why it's important you understand what it takes to heal the constitution, what parts are broken. If you remember, the purpose of the constitution was to protect our rights and to protect the rights of the family from a runaway kingly type of government that our founders broke away from. They, they were very experienced with this kingly type of government where power is con- centrally uh, concentrated. And so they, they wanted you, you know for us to be governed mostly, remember Moses's, the local level to be solved uh, locally because that's the people who are closest to the problems. So what we're seeing is mothers and grandmothers are seeing this protective umbrella of the constitution that the founding fathers intended being removed. And we're feeling these fiery darts of this radical, I don't even need to tell you, but radical woke uh, agendas and race baiting and uh, sexual ideologies of, you know, penetrating onto our children, and our grandchildren, anti-American curriculum being taught and, you know, dishonest elections and censorship and cancel culture and immoral legislations, and court decisions being passed. And we're feeling the impact of this in our homes and on our children and our grandchildren. And so we're waking up. This is why you're here today. You're waking up. Let's see that next slide. Let this be your war cry. Let this be your marching order. We got to get our best player off the bench and back into the game. We need to get God back into our family. And this is what we talked about in lesson four one. How do we heal ourselves? How do we heal our marriages? How do we heal our homes? We got to get God back into the home. We need to have these little devotionals where we study, you know, the Bible and how God works and how God will work then is how he works today. And and we have to inspire them with these faith stories, this inspirational faith stories of our founding. And we need to keep our families close. We need to fight for them. And we need to, you know, be having discussions with them about what's going on. We need to be having spiritual discussions and discussions about current events And then we need to keep studying. I commend you. Every week when you show up, you're doing this. You're wanting to learn the Constitution from the viewpoint of the Founding Fathers. They said, God, this was struck off by the hand of God. They knew that this was inspired. God is in to governments. He is very interested in what kind of governments his children live under because in a, a, an environment of maximum freedom, then you can worship him in a maximum way. You can live his gospel in a maximum way under freedom, all right, to have religious freedoms, to be able to worship according to the dictates of your own conscience. This is why God is into government. And this is why we have to be into government, a uh, government that. That you know, where the spirit of God is, there is the spirit of liberty that promotes liberty. And then, as you do these things, God will put in your heart what changes you need to make within yourself or within your marriage or within your home and relationships. And maybe you, know, you need to do something out in the community. You, you need to start your own little cottage meeting in your community and start with four or five ladies coming together once a week or once a month to study the healing of America. Just go through a page, fill in the blanks and talk about it. Or you, maybe you need to support a good candidate, that little candidate that's running for school board that I met at that Juneteenth lunch. I asked for her contact, and when I got home, I went and I I contributed to her campaign. We're going to have to walk the talk with our checkbook and support, you know, uh, we, we need to do something. God will put on your heart what you can do. It has been said that 10 small discussion groups in communities will do more to create a new way of life than 100 mass meetings with a 1,000 people in attendance. There's power in uh, women and and husbands and wives or good citizens coming together at the local level and learning these principles and then uniting and having eight of you show up at a school board and and pushing back and going on record that you're not happy with what is going on and running for office or or putting good people into office. So next week, we have done it. We're on our last class. Uh, of our 16 week healing of America seminar, you will have graduated. Hopefully you've got a bedrock foundation to help you connect the dots of where we came from and what that we you know, had and the problems we have now and what we can do, what we can begin to talk up and, and to talk about and to vet uh, people running for office. So next week, we're gonna talk about how little old you and little old me can heal the economy And that's what we're going to talk about, repealing the 16th Amendment, how we can institute, again, these free market principles and programs and get rid of all these rules and regulation that are crippling to a capitalism and to the free market. And then how we can deregulate America, both at home and abroad. Yes, little you and me can have an impact, and I will learn how how, uh, we can do that. You know, God works through small and simple means. that that i feel like i'm a small and simple little obscure mama but that's how god works through people like us who are willing to stand up and say okay i want to be a part help me to fulfill your purposes through me through small and simple old me and we will learn that in our last class